Welcome to the Speaking Light into Abortion podcast, where I talk about all the reasons it's possible for you to thrive after your abortion. I'm your host, Amanda Kingsley, and two years after my own abortion, I certified as a life coach so I could serve women after abortion in all the ways they've been deserving and lacking for centuries. Consider this your launchpad for finding strength and community in yourselves and in each other. All right, podcasting again. This feels like a really special week. Um, Many weeks ago, six, seven weeks ago, I reached out to Jacqueline Cohen, who wrote an incredible article that was well shared, um, very loved, very appreciated by many. And I said, you know, would you gift my audience a reading of this piece that you wrote? And so we're going to share that piece on Thursday and you're going to cry when you listen. It's gorgeous. It's amazing. So thank you for, for, for reading that to us. But in this episode today, um, we're going to talk about some of the pieces of it and some of the pieces of your story and who you are. So let me just start by letting you introduce yourself and what feels relevant to being on this podcast and having this conversation. Well, okay, I'll try. It's been a long time since I introduced myself, so I'll. I'll I know. I this is like a thing. I like. (laughs) I feel so boring to read people's introductions. I'm like, I want to hear from you, like what you feel is important right now. (laughs) Totally, and the truth is, is I actually cringe most of the time when I hear people introduced, like pre-COVID. You know, when you get a lecture or a seminar, you'd be in this like big room with lots of people who are all you know ready to hang on your every word, and yeah, and then the introduction is so stiff. I'm always like, that doesn't really tell me about this person. You just read their back, their CV right. or whatever. So I will like a lot of letters you don't understand. hundred <laughs> percent. All right. Um, we so want to know who you are and why you're here in this moment. Sure. So I am Jacqueline Cohen and I am a rabbi in Los Angeles, California. I've been a rabbi for six and a half years now. That sounds about right, even though math is not my strong suit. But uh, the reason that I'm here in this space with you is because when my son was born about five years ago, what my family went through was something I later learned is incredibly common for families around the world. I was diagnosed with severe postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. I had to spend some time in a psychiatric facility to get better. I truly our family went through um went through the ringer and and came out the other side stronger more resilient with a much deeper mm. understanding of just how complicated it can be to bring a child into the world mm. at any age at any life stage um you know any <laughs> just the whole idea of um becoming a parent is so loaded and we started to find that when we spoke about our experiences, people were craving what we had to share, not because it was so brilliant, but because we felt and continue to feel that the um, the stigma that is typically around anything related to babies, yeah. childbirth, postpartum, infant loss, miscarriage, right? Like all of the things that fall into that category are mm. often so stigmatized and not spoken about. So my family and I, particularly me, started to really become activists around maternal mental health 
Mm. paid family leave, maternal wellness. And that was where we were at all the way up through um, my, my, uh, my husband's diagnosis of epilepsy, which deepened our awareness of paid family and medical leave, as well as um, just the challenges of being a human being with health challenges, right? Like that was a whole other layer to it. And then in late 2019, we got pregnant with our second child and unfortunately had to terminate that pregnancy on Valentine's Day 2020, which was a profoundly impactful Mm -hmm. experience. So that's how you and I came to be in this podcast Zoom situation today. Yeah, I'm so um, grateful for that. I mean, I wouldn't wish these experiences on anybody, but what a gift that we get to find each other across the country and share that with others. True. And just to get back to the bio thing, um, I I now have a a new appreciation for people who read other people's bios because they they do it quickly. Whereas like you, sometimes we have a tendency just, especially clergy, just sort of go on and on and on. I love it. Yeah. But I think the on and on and on is much more interesting to listen to. (laughs) I I love it. So welcome here. Um, People can go read about you in lots of bio-ish ways if they want to. Um, there's so many reasons I have you here, or I'm honored to have you here, and so many things I want to talk about, um, including your work in the clergy and um, your your position of faith and what it me what the conversation is around abortion in the Jewish faith, and also as people will hear in the reading on Thursday, um, I have not had a guest on to talk about terminating a non-viable pregnancy. And I think that's a really, well, I know that's a really important conversation to have. It's not a direction I've focused, um, but I'd love to have more of that conversation with you and, and what that's like. What is that experience like for people to terminate a pregnancy that was very much desired either planned or unplanned, because it happens both ways. Sometimes people have an unplanned desired pregnancy. Sometimes people have a planned desired pregnancy. And then it doesn't always, it doesn't always land the way we hope it will, where dreams imagine. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe let's start there. Let's start a little bit more personal. And um, what do you feel like you want to share with listeners who have faced that decision to terminate a pregnancy that was very much wanted. Hey, where to begin? So listen, I think that growing up, we all have our own sort of narrative that we tell ourselves around having a baby. And it's often shaped by cultural and sometimes, you know, religious and sometimes those two go together. Sometimes it's shaped by our own parents or close family, friends, Mm -hmm. right? Like we don't really understand pregnancy in its fullness until we actually get there, right? So I remember Mm, when my husband and I, yeah, like when my husband and I decided that we were ready to start trying for our first child, even just the mental shift of I have tried 
my whole adolescent and up until this point adult life, I've tried not to get pregnant. Right. And now that's shifting. And it's even just that alone is such a huge step, just a huge reframe. So we were very lucky that when we wanted to get pregnant with our son, we, we did pretty quickly and it was a healthy pregnancy and, and we knew how lucky we were. Like we were, you know, definitely not naive and thinking, Oh, this is how it is for everybody. But we got to the other side of it. We, (laughs) we dealt with it on the other side where, you know, within the first six weeks of our son's life, it was just very clear that multiple things were going wrong from breastfeeding to my mental health to, um, just the, everything, every time we went to the pediatrician, it was like something else was wrong. Mm -hmm. Luckily he is wonderful and adorable and perfect and fine. But so, you know, we are, we are all a collection of our own life experiences. And so going into the decision to try for another baby was first of all, not a decision we made lightly because we had seen how hard it can actually be. And so the pressure of wanting to get pregnant, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the time that we spent discussing, is this something we really feel we're up for? So all of those this, those discussions, those conversations led into this moment where we sort of looked at each other and said like, okay, we're ready to see what happens. And knowing all of that, you know, knowing that it took a really long time for us to even get pregnant the second time around, which was a, in and of itself a total just reframe, like, well, it happened quickly the first time. What are right. we doing wrong? What's different? Is there something else that's wrong with us? Um, there's just so much that goes into the experience of bringing a human into the world. Yeah. So knowing all of that, when you've made it to 12 weeks and you're sitting in that doctor's office and mm-hmm. they tell you this pregnancy isn't going to last, it sucks. <laughs> like, I don't know how else to say. It just sucked all of the life out of us to just be like, yeah, okay, well, that really isn't fair. <laughs> like that... There's a lot of words that were shared the day that we got that news um, that I hope not to share with, you know, my son who is five. I want him to come to those words on his own. But the bottom line is, is that it just feels horrific. Like it just feels like everything that you thought you were reaching for is taken away from you. And Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I think I didn't like crawl into a fetal position for a month was because we did know people who had shared with us that they had been through this, you know, mm. separate from our, from our own pregnancies, like friends of ours, congregants of mine who have mm. had experiences with non-viable pregnancies and did yeah. have to do DNC procedures. Um, so it didn't feel like we were the only people in the world who had ever experienced this, even though it does, the enormity of it all does sometimes feel like you're the only people in the world experiencing yeah. this kind of pain. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, any questions I ask you do not have to answer that. I mean, that seems like a given, but feel free to just say, I'd rather keep that to myself. Well, I will. I will. And also like, like, you know, we, I in particular have learned like when you share your story, you don't have yeah. to share your entire story. You share a piece of your story, a powerful right. piece of your story. And that feels 
like an offering without feeling like I'm telling you every single thing that happened, yeah. right? Like, like there are some things that are going to remain private and that are going to yeah. be just between my husband and me. And, and that also feels very holy. So yes, yeah. I will tell you. Yeah. Tell <laughs> I me. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Private, tell me but. because my next question, cause I've seen this in clients and I've heard this from, from other women is, was there a period where they were telling you this is a non-viable pregnancy, but there, I imagine as a woman and a mother and a person, it must've been a little piece of you that was like, maybe they're wrong. Maybe they're wrong. And, and should I make this choice? And like, how do I trust them? And how do I trust myself? And what was that piece of the story like? Well, we had the benefit. It doesn't feel like a benefit, but it was definitely like in hindsight, we had this phone call the night before my ultrasound from this doctor who was in the same practice as my OB saying, we just got your, your blood work back and it's a mess. And so yeah. it was almost like as, as terrible as it felt. And I remember talking to her and I was in my office. There's actually a whole part of the piece that I wrote for Feller where I like detailed what happened in the office where like all of the blood rushed out of my face. I felt like I was going to throw up, which was, you know, happening often yeah. at that point. So, right. you know, I, but I just <laughs> felt like my, like the wind had been knocked out of me and I had to sit down and I had to, you know, just like collect myself. But the fact that that happened the night before the ultrasound gave us a clue that there might be, it might not be a great appointment the following day. Yeah. Um, and so the, the doctor who we, who I spoke to had said, you know, it is, it is either that this pregnancy is not a good pregnancy or the lab messed up. And I right. really, she said, I, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. So knowing that going into the appointment, we were not shocked and yeah. everything that they told us and the amount of time that we spent in that doctor's office. I mean, I, I joked that like here in LA, you have to valet your car at a doctor's office. Our valet you know, cost was so expensive that day because we were there for hours, just like talking to as many people as we could. And then afterward we left and called more doctors. Like we had a unanimous voice mm -hmm. from yeah. everyone that we were speaking to people we trust, not just these doctors who we were meeting for the first time, but also, you know, my, my dad who's a doctor, like we had other people who said, yeah, I'm really sorry, but everything that they're saying, it, it, there really doesn't seem to be another, another route. Yeah. And so I think that that helped me surrender a little bit faster. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, as a human being, like you think you're in a nightmare and you want to just wake up from it. And there's that piece of you that thinks maybe I'm imagining this. Maybe right. this isn't right. really what's happening. Yeah. But yeah, I've definitely talked to people who still think you know, many months or years later, like that couldn't have really happened. That must have been a nightmare. What I would think, you say um, to yeah. someone who didn't have the clarity that you had? Like you did have, sounds like an amazing team and, you know, a knowing of what was best. But to that person who's listening and they're still thinking like, did I terminate a viable pregnancy even though they told me it wasn't? Any words of wisdom to that listener, even though it wasn't you? 
Yeah, I mean, I would say two things. I mean, I think that there's both the in-between, which we call in ritual theory, the liminal state, right? Where you're not mm. really over here and you're not really over there. You're somewhere in the mm. middle. Like pregnancy is the ultimate liminal state because you're in between two, two phases. Mm. Mm -hmm. But there's the liminal state of, I just received this information and I need to make a decision. And then there's also the state of like, I made this decision I had the abortion, I, or, you know, I, I did what I needed to do and now I have regret. And I think for people who are in that state of like, I'm not sure this is the right decision, give it a little bit of time, right? Like yeah. It, yeah. we sometimes feel that we have to rush to a conclusion. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's okay to take a pause and to gather your feelings and to gather the information and to really understand what science is being presented to you. I know that for mm -hmm. me, I had to come to terms with the fact that if I chose to let nature run its course, I could, I could be like damaging my own health. And, you know, that wasn't something that's like presented to you. And you certainly got, you, you know, you go like, okay, great. Yeah. Like, check. I'd I love to it. take it's... that risk. My son doesn't need a mother. <laughs> exactly. It, but it's this information is stuff that yeah. sometimes needs to be marinated on a little bit. And then, yeah. For people who look back and think, you know, did I, did I do the right decision? You know, did I make the right decision? Did I do the right thing? You know, was this really what was presented to me? I think we can make ourselves crazy yeah. asking those questions. Yes. All our lives, not just about pregnancy, yes. and terminating <laughs> a pregnancy but about everything. And that's not the way that I choose to live my life. I yes. choose to think I made the best possible decision with the information that was presented to me and life has many chapters and I yeah. don't know what the next chapter is going to hold that's my philosophy yeah. and I've certainly had to live it a few times over yep um also like everyone needs a therapist everyone needs someone in their life who can help them because this has such a huge impact on mental health yeah and <clears throat> to to disregard that piece of the puzzle yeah I think doesn't do it doesn't do us any good so yeah that's what I would say great advice I agree we all need support in terms of mental health um it blows me away when I'm in when someone else is holding space for me and I can see things in a perspective that I never could have got to on my own mm -hmm. like oh I did not see that yeah. And I think um, it helps us grow and helps us develop our own resilience. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. So thank you for answering that question. I know, I just know that there's listeners who are just at the edge of their seats on this non-viable pregnancy situation and trying to um, cover some more of the bases beyond your story, but bringing in your wisdom. <laughs> um what let's maybe move over unless there's anything else you feel like you want to share personally because I feel like your reading is going to share a lot of your personal experience is there anything else you feel called to share personally or talk about personally yeah there's there's one piece of the whole puzzle that really matters to me in this whole conversation which is the notion yeah. of privilege yeah. And the notion of Oof. access, yeah. um, which I think that all of us, you know, we're, 
the older we get, the more we learn about ourselves. And so before we had our son, I don't think we fully understood how privileged we were to have health insurance, to have yeah. access to great doctors, to have the ability to, uh, you know, get the treatment that we needed. And you know, just all of these different things you, you learn as you get older, or if you're open to learning about yourself and your place in the cosmos, right? Like that was a huge piece of our journey with my son and with postpartum depression was how many people did not have yeah. the access that I did was, I mean, that changed us. And then going through it again, when my husband was diagnosed with epilepsy and then going through it again, when, you know, basically, uh, I know this, the, the timeline very well, because I found out about, uh, the non-viable pregnancy the day before I turned 36. So that was not my favorite birthday. <laughs> and we made up for it a few weeks later, but just, uh, you know, I found out on basically, you know, February 7th that yeah. we were going to have to terminate a pregnancy. And one week later I had the surgery on, on Valentine's day. Um, so I had this whole thing in my head for a while that I was going to write a piece actually in January of 2021 called my Valentine's day abortion. Like that was my idea. Yeah. Um, but then I wound up feeling called to write the piece in October around the Supreme yeah. Court hearings for Amy Coney Barrett. Um, anyway, this is all to say that like privilege, access, agency play a huge role in all of this. And yeah. I think it's incumbent upon, upon all of us to open our eyes to the ways that those um, things that are often beyond our control, um, how they shape this conversation. Yeah. Um, that's just... Yeah, and I just want to thank you for using your privilege and your access, um, because I do believe that us sharing these stories, because we had the privilege and the access and the community and the support, the more space we open to tell our stories, we increase access, right? I really do believe that, that our story our speaking out does increase access for others who don't have that same privilege. So and thank I you. Think I... it, of course. And I think it creates space, God willing, it creates space for other stories to be told, right? Like yes. that is something, and it's hard for me because like my circle is like, I'm a rabbi. Most of the people I associate with are Jewish just because of like the time that I spend doing the things that I do. We're always trying to broaden our circle. And, you know, my, my family, like one of our values is we believe wholeheartedly in diversity and in accessibility, like that colors the decisions that we make. And we also are aware of how much what we do and how we do it is shaped by life experiences and you know, just social boundaries that we did not put in place for ourselves. So we're always trying to hold that in balance. And yeah, in what we do, you know, my husband is actually on the board of an organization in Los Angeles called Maternal Mental Health Now, which I first connected with as a speaker. Mm -hmm. And what he is constantly pushing for and what the organization is constantly pushing for is just a broadening of the reach yes. so that stories that don't have the same spotlight, like I have a spotlight because I'm a clergy person in yeah. a major metropolitan area. And I'm constantly trying to figure out like, how can I share this spotlight with someone else? Like somebody who doesn't have that same platform. Um, yeah. And it's, 
it's hard, but it's worth it. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. So it really is so important. Um, so within your faith, what, I mean, like you said, like you read in your piece that people will hear, um, in Judaism, there is just like any religion or any belief system, there's different interpretations. Not everyone um, believes what you believe. But I do think in, in general, the Jewish faith is much more accepting of abortion. But within that difference, right, within that diversity of belief within, um, within Judaism, where did you have moments where you were like, what is so and so rabbi so and so gonna think right when i speak out about this mm -hmm. you know what i mean am i speaking am i getting oh, across yeah. the yeah oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah um you know i think again like our family has had all of these different chapters in yeah. our resiliency journey when I first spoke out about postpartum depression, like the yeah. way that I chose to do it was by giving us giving my my only like real big sermon of the year on Rosh Hashanah in 2016. I chose to stand before this enormous congregation and say, like, here's what I went through. Wow. And so all of the anxiety leading up to that and all of the sort of like, well, what is what is like this person whose opinion I really trust gonna say? And yes. you know, how do I root this mental health journey in text and in like, like, how do I affirm what I'm saying yes. through the lens of faith, right? Like all of those things really went into that sermon and that sermon really changed the course of my career wow. intentionally. Um, and I was, again, like that sermon, I gave it in October, 2016. We were a month out from the election where Hillary and Donald were running against each other. And it was just like, it was a similar milieu of yes. like intensity and chaos and women's rights. And like, there was just so much. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why that sermon was so well received yeah. was because it was, you know, contextualized. And, and, and like, it's honestly one of the things I'm most proud of writing. Yeah. So Is that written that's... somewhere that people can read it? Oh yeah, I'll send it to you. Plus, oh, goodness, the, plus the follow-up resources that I sent like a week after I gave the sermon, I sent an email to the congregation basically saying like, thank you so much for the warm response and here are some further resources for everybody. Yeah. So yeah. that was that was a big risk and I'm really glad that I took it. And so like now it just has made speaking up about mental health, mm -hmm. postpartum depression, abortion, reproductive choice, like it's made it that much it's not that it's easy, but it is easier once you see that you can both root it in something holy and also that the response is so meaningful and it is so incredibly powerful to hear the the people's voices. And also like there were there were some people who responded not so nicely to the Keller piece. And yeah. I don't really remember anybody giving me any flack for the postpartum depression sermon, but um, it makes it so that you can sort of say, I see very clearly that my faith has given me the roots to speak out against this and like empowered me to do this, right? Like it just wow. makes it all sort of congeal in that way. 
Yeah, that's so beautiful. So beautiful. And um, I will say though, because I do think it's an important thing too, is that like, there are also plenty of sacred texts that would, you know, like you can sort of pick and choose. It's like a totally. buffet platter, right? Like there are sacred yeah. texts that people use to justify the opposite side. And you have to understand, like, I have accepted that that's, that's okay. Like there's space for all of us. Um, but yeah. that's where, you know, it's, it's not just like a slam dunk. Like, well, Judaism says this, no, Judaism right. says a lot of really conflicting stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not always so clear, but yeah, um, I love how you know. said earlier, like it's a nuanced approach to mm -hmm. abortion. And I think it is much more open and loving than other religious texts. I am not a person of religious faith. I'm a very spiritual person. Um, but in, in the reading and research and conversation I've had, um, this nuanced approach you speak of seems much more open and loving and um, the words you used earlier um, were the health of the mother takes precedence. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is just to have a community with that as a foundation is such a powerful thing yeah. beyond abortion, right? Like just in like just as a root of mm -hmm. of community beliefs. I just want to honor what a beautiful thing that is. Yeah, no, it is. And, and I will say, I mean, it's definitely not, you know, it's funny, like the things that each generation considers to be the most important, it, it changes, right? Like it's not our current generation, like our congregation, the congregation that I serve currently and the, the people who are congregants at the congregation, it's like, this isn't a, this isn't like a hot topic. This isn't something that gets talked about a lot. It's not like, you know, we're having all these, you know, different meetings to discuss like women's reproductive rights. I mean, like right now, six months from now, who knows what might happen in the right. Supreme Court that would generate that kind of interest and attention. And we want to know what Judaism has to say about abortion. But I think that in most reform Jewish communities, and I'm a reform rabbi, I'm proud to be a reform rabbi. Mm -hmm. There is a acknowledgement that we, we have a, a sort of, I don't know if it's a saying or a phrase that we've been using a lot throughout COVID, which is pikuach nefesh, like the saving of a life is the most important thing that mm. any Jew can do. We can break Shabbat. We can, you know, mm. violate another commandment. Oh, I have chills. Because, because pikuach nefesh is the most important thing because, and if you think about the sort of psychology mm. of Jews, the history of being expelled from this place and that place, the history of being, you know, 6 million Jews being killed in the Holocaust, right? Like, our story, our narrative is one of survival. And mm. it makes sense mm. that preserving life is part of that psyche. But mm -hmm. where we get into trouble a lot, not necessarily like reformed Jews or more progressive Jews, but where we get into trouble as religious people is where we get confused around like, whose life are we exactly, you know, trying to save? Like, who's the life that we're trying to yeah. uphold. Um, yeah. And I think that that's, you know, one, th that's one thing that I definitely like as a person of faith who is willing to go into this arena of reproductive choice. Yeah. That's something that I hold very sacred. Yeah. Have you had, are you, um, are you the kind of person who has like groups of other clergy people in, 
in your faith or in multiple faiths, have you had conversations around this topic of abortion with other clergy people? Interesting question. Um, yes, I think so. But in the last five, six, seven years, this has not been the front and center topic. Mm, the front, yeah. you know, the topic that we talk, that we communicate most about is immigration, yep. racial justice. Mm -hmm. um, now, abortion is embedded within these topics, like hundred percent. Right, but it's yeah. it's more like yeah. the focus, especially of the last four years, yeah. has not been you know getting together with my interfaith colleagues. Like I I have for a very long time mm -hmm. been deeply immersed in the world of interfaith dialogue, and. I, I firmly believe that I learn more about myself as a Jew when learning about and engaging with and mm. studying with people who are different from me, come from a different background, Beautiful. have a different belief system. Like I've always loved that. Yeah. But when I look back on all of the conversations I've had in those spaces over the last several years, just abortion hasn't been front and center. And, you know, that might yeah. also have something to do with the fact that Gosh, I'm in Southern it's... California, yeah. um, that the people that I am being drawn to in these spaces also come from typically more progressive backgrounds. Yeah. Um, or it also just might have to do with like just the circumstances being what they are. So it's a very interesting question. And I think that in my hunch is that in the coming years, it will become more of a topic given the makeup of yeah. the Supreme court and how that just sort of plays out in our day-to-day -day lives. But yeah. yeah, with its influence on politics being so strong, which is immediately an influence on access, right? It's interesting how quiet it still stays, you know, mm -hmm. that it is not a front and center conversation because those of us on the other side, on the, you know, which you've been in both places, right? As a woman who has to choose abortion and a woman who... Um, who's in a leadership position like on this side so much of the stigma comes from religion like so much of the stigma comes from religion mm -hmm. and in the conversation we're having like I think very much less so from Judaism but how it just like kind of blows my mind that like mm -hmm. all that stigma has been built like literally created it's just beliefs that people stacked up it's not like solid in anything yeah. um, this is actually one of the reasons why I've developed um, a really lovely relationship with Planned Parenthood Los Angeles oh, beautiful. and have really tried to yeah uh, just try to lend my voice and lend my friends voices as you know leaders of faith to say to you know organizations like Planned Parenthood which do incredible work like beyond abortion access like Planned Parenthood is in a remarkable amazing amazing yeah. organization and like just to be able to lend our heft as yeah. progressive faith leaders to yeah. their cause has been yeah really deeply inspiring and you know and I would say you know when, when it comes to Judaism there is no one Judaism there are many different yeah. and so it's important to remember that especially much more um much more observant slash traditional denominations of Judaism. Um, we're actually seeing this right now with, with COVID where like, I just read 
yesterday that there was this huge Satmar Jewish wedding ceremony that took place in New York with thousands of people like crammed in together singing and dancing and no masks. Wow. And, you know, it's like, I just, it, it's very clear to me, like take, a, it's just very clear to me. I mean, I'm, I probably have more in common with a Protestant, you know, than I do with progressive like Protestant than that. Right. Yeah, like, totally. I, yeah, I get and, it. <laughs> and, and that's okay. I mean, it's okay to have differences yeah, yeah. and it's okay to have nuances, totally. but what's, what's not okay is to feel like we're in the middle of a pandemic and we seem to have very different approaches to what it means to preserve life, but that's yeah. a whole other topic. So um, that was just really hard to see and to read. And it also affirmed that like, you know, our congregation, it's like, we've been staying six feet away from each other for eight months. We don't get like, we, we have been so vigilant about yeah. gathering and about like, being safe and preserving everybody's health. Like, so yeah. there is a big difference when it comes to different sects of Judaism. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I love all, I love that all the conversations are happening at all, you know, here and in your interfaith communities and all the places. Um, we're just going to have more of them. That's how change happens. Right. Just, yeah. Some of it is in quantity, mm -hmm. <laughs> the quantity of stories we hear, the quantity of challenges we, you know, place upon each other, like all of that, just like what's up the game. So I look forward to, um, I hope that there are even more of these interfaith conversations about abortion in your future. Me too. We'll see. Anything else you feel like you wanna share with a listener? before we wrap up here, something that you feel called to say or? Yeah, I mean, I, I think when it comes to anything difficult in our lives, the most important thing that any one of us can share with each other is you are not alone. Like yeah. that's, that's ultimately what it comes down to. It's very yeah. simple. And yep. I think that can be a confusing message, especially right now, right? Like where so many of us are living our lives on Zoom and not being able to physically connect with the people we love. And, you know, some of us are experiencing loss, whether from COVID-19 or from cancer or from, you know, name your thing. Like, yeah. like a couple of weeks ago, we lost our patriarch. My grandfather passed away. Mm. He was 99 years old. And um, even though the whole experience of his death and burial was so different from right. what I, you know, I mean, he was buried in, he died in Los Angeles. He was buried in New York. We, we couldn't go to the funeral. We had to watch it on zoom. Like, yeah. like, even though it feels like, oh my God, we're so separate. We're so distant. We're so this, we're so that, like, there's also a tremendous amount of comfort in, even in this time, like knowing you're not alone, that we have right. the ability to connect with each other that we yeah. are here for each other. And I think that that's a message that ha that's universal and that is going to feel differently when we come out of this pandemic, whenever that will be, no matter what we go through, no matter what challenges get thrown our way, like mm. we're not alone, even if we feel like we're alone. Yeah. And it's that yeah. small act of companionship of walking yeah. beside someone, even virtually that helps us get through the really difficult, you know, the difficult diagnoses and mm -hmm. the news and the losses. 
Um, and so for me, I just hope, especially this week of Thanksgiving, where so many of us are craving togetherness, knowing that we're not alone, um, that just provides a little bit of light and a little bit of hope. Yeah, it really does. Okay, but it stirred one more question. <laughs> okay, okay, go for can, it. We can make it quick, but if you have time, I have one more question. Um, you said that your your procedure was in um, February of 2020. So that was right before we really understood what was happening with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of listeners who have experienced their abortion as well during this pandemic. And that's come with like a host of different challenges and blessings. So um, in terms of this, you are not alone piece. I think many people have felt even more alone because they literally are isolated, which for some has been a blessing and for some has not felt that way. Any words of wisdom for those, specifically for those who um, lost a pregnancy through abortion in 2020 and have felt extra alone? Other than the fact that they're not alone, like, I don't know if you can speak to that from your own healing during a pandemic. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I definitely can. Um, One of the things that I've noticed, because like the social media accounts that I follow are very much on brand, right? Like I follow women and men and the motherhood center in New York City and, you know, perinatal support, right? Like all of these different sort of um, specifically Instagram accounts that uh, both bring me light and joy and also make me feel connected to yeah. other people. I have seen very clearly over the last, um, you know, eight months, so many different spaces for connection and belonging mm-hmm. and um, processing and, you know, making people feel a little bit less alone. I've just seen this beautiful explosion of mm-hmm. opportunities to connect that have nothing to do with being together in person, right? Like yeah. I I have in the last, you know, two months or so only really started to become really comfortable with like, oh, I get to just sort of like keep my pajamas on and just like <laughs> not really engage with people. Yeah. And like, get, I just get, I think part of it is that the weather changed about two months ago and it feels a little bit more like, oh yeah, I do just kind of want to be home and, you know, kind of snuggle up with myself, but I can still connect with other people. Um, so that's, I know that that was like a weird, you know, really, I just wanted to, well, I think the the important message is like, it's out there and more and more is being creative. So keep looking. If you haven't found it yet, keep Keep looking, keep looking. looking. And I would say like the motherhood center in New York city is a wonderful, wonderful resource. Um, I would also say that, uh, now I, of course I can't remember them off the top of my head, but I'll do a little bit of research and send it to you. But just there's ways to connect. And what I love most is like, you can connect with somebody in Ohio right now Mm -hmm. and be in the same like support group. You can connect with somebody who you never would have had the chance to meet had this pandemic not presented these challenges to us. I Um, love that. And also acknowledge that like, it sucks. It, you know, like acknowledge and suck, acknowledge that it's not idea, ideal. Yeah. And then pivot. Like, right open your eyes Mm. to what is there. Yeah. Um, it's hard and there are moments when it sucks more than others, but yeah, uh, I personally see it as a blessing that we were able to, um, that everything has unfolded the way that it has for our family. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think this this pandemic did um, encourage a lot of really valuable pivots pivots for you know connection and care yeah. and spaces. So and that's creativity. a beautiful thing. Yeah, so much creativity. It's amazing. Yeah. All right. Thank you for answering that last question. <laughs> and thank you for being here. And um, excited for for listeners to have the opportunity to hear these conversations and your reading for many years to come. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. Thanks for listening. And as always, please consider sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It helps me reach a wider audience and invites more people to thrive after abortion. If you're someone who chose abortion and find yourself struggling, hiding, or wishing you could move beyond your experience, head over to my website and book a free call. We'll talk about how you can start living the life you made your choice for.